podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Manchester United's busiest ever October caught up with them as November began. A 1-0 victory over Real Sociedad was not enough to leapfrog the Basques and so Eric Ten Hag's United face a playoff with Barcelona in February to progress into the Europa League round of 16. Two early goals conceded at Villa Park made it an insurmountable challenge in the Midlands and one United were hardly going to live up to anyway. A first defeat in some weeks is a bringing back down to earth. But has it taught us anything new? A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining me, Harry Robinson, and my co-host, Jack Tate. Also in today's show, your regular youth loan and United women's roundup. Guest the player, round four. We chat about the wonderful city of San Sebastian and Barcelona as it goes. We also talk about Thursday's League Cup game against Aston Villa and plenty more so let's get stuck in. Jack this defeat to Aston Villa 3-1 it was a result and a performance that I think has been coming and in fact if we go back a month or two maybe six weeks I think we thought it would come sooner than it did. In the end it's been brought about by several factors but it's it's not a surprise it is obviously a great frustration and, and a disappointment as well isn't it? Massively and on the back of only winning by one goal against Real Sociedad capped off a really bad week for United after uh, stringing a few really good weeks together. I think, you know, and we'll get into this more, I, I think the the defeat to Villa was unsurprising in, in the way that it happened. I think these are issues, like, I didn't highlight anything particularly new to me about this United team. It sort of just exposed issues that we've known have been there for quite a while. And, and we've sort of said, you know, these will probably be exposed and brought to light at some point and it, it happened I think slightly more disappointing was just the way that it felt like United quite meekly responded to the hardship that we faced quite early on in the game yeah I think I agree on that and I think also the fact that I've kind of been prepared for a disappointing defeat like this for a while but the manner in which it came was disappointing not only because of the way United responded to conceding but the fact that the goals we conceded were not of particularly brilliant quality there was some there was some really good bits of play for Aston Villa and I think Unai Emery got them playing in a pretty disciplined way very quickly and that was impressive and we can accept that but still the way we defended and the individual mistakes made this a little more disappointing than had it just been down to injuries but I do think there are three main factors to this and we'll start with the first one injuries and and suspension to key players but crucially to uplifting players, players who play with intensity and that means mentally but also in terms of how they play on the ball tempo-wise in Anthony, Rafael Varane and Bruno Fernandes. Fernandes clearly the main one. His sometimes reckless intensity was very much missed when it wouldn't have been reckless, it would have been much needed. And I think this was, uh, Fernandes was probably the big winner from Sunday, wasn't he? In, in a weird way, yeah. He was... There, there are definitely certain games that Bruno Fernandes is not particularly well suited to, but this definitely wasn't one of those games, especially after going two goals down. Fernandes is, is exactly the kind of player you need in a situation like that because I think he brings, like you mentioned, with, with some some reckless abandon thrown in there, he brings a level of of courage and ambition on the ball that I don't think any other United player has. There's certainly no other United player that can play in that number 10 role. And we, we massively miss that. And it's not just that, it's also the intensity off the ball as well, which I thought was, yeah. was missing a lot from, from United. But, you know, by the time the game had really settled down after we were, we, we were two goals down, that side of the game wasn't quite so important. What we needed was Fernandes to be that creative force and 
quite frankly, this was a game where volume of just trying, trying creative passes, trying, you know, beyond, sort of beyond just crossing it into needed. the box as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, this was a game where it was needed. This wasn't a game where United needed great patterns of play because by the time we went two goals down, Villa were just going to sit back in a shape and defend and, and we never looked like we had the quality or the inventiveness to, to break them down. Yeah, but I, I do think it's, I think Fernandes massively and out of possession, absolutely. But also the way we started the game was poor. And I don't think, I don't think that doesn't happen with Fernandes on the pitch. We've seen plenty of times United can start games very poorly with Bruno Fernandes playing, but the chances of it are slightly less. He is a player who brings intensity in everything he does and it, and it rubs off. And I think the same is true with Anthony. And I think the same is also true in a slightly different way rather than the kind of, uh, kind of gung-ho intensity of Anthony and Fernandez. Varane brings a calmness to defence, but he also, importantly, his passing isn't amazing. And his, the way he can begin attacks for United isn't amazing. But what he does do, and we've spoken about this since he joined about 18 months ago, what he does do is, is bring a tempo to the passing that I really think was missing. And I was disappointed in particular in this regard with Ericsson and Van der Beek, who you would, you would hope would step up and kind of be the ones to raise the tempo of how United were in possession, but were missing. From Lindelof, I don't particularly expect it anymore, but from Ericsson and Van der Beek, I did. And I thought Varane was a big miss, not a big miss, not only in terms of his defensive quality, but also just that, that tempo on the ball. And this is a big thing in Ten Hag's team. He references it all the time, not just in terms of passes, but in terms of dribblers as well. He calls them tempo dribblers. It's a pretty foreign term, an unusual term in English football vocabulary. And I, I think a, a Dutch speaker could probably explain it a little better, but he basically means dribblers who can kind of raise the tempo of the of the game, uh, but also who, who can control it so they can slow it down and can speed it up. And, and tempo was really missing, even when United got a bit of a grip on the game after 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, this was a performance right out of the the kind of Solskjaer Ranić playbook, to be honest, you know, start the game poorly. It reminded me, do you remember at times, especially during Mourinho's spell and then often the start of Solskjaer's time at United too, where he always used to say, I could watch 10 minutes of United and tell you exactly what the rest of the performance is going to look like. Look yeah. like. This, this felt like one of those performances. I remember even watching, it's going to sound stupid, but I remember watching right from the kickoff. I, I don't know what it was about the way that United approached the game, but... Something even in those first few seconds, it felt like we were sort of ambling through the game. And, you know, that's not to say that the way that we went through from the kickoff was how determined what, determined what was going to happen. But I think it, it said a little bit about the tone that was set by United very early on in this game. We just didn't look like we were ready for, really like we were ready for a game, to be honest. That it was painfully obvious once Gerard got sacked <laughs> and Emery was hired that this was going to be a yeah, difficult I mean, game for you. Let's have it right. This this had all of the ingredients for a slip up, in, not just in terms of the new manager. Yeah, it's a, a new manager bounce. Yeah, we first played game on Thursday. They have not been funny. And injuries. If, and if all you that. and I and thousands of other United fans on Twitter could have told you that this is a inevitable, you know, slip up game, the players and the coaching staff knew that too, and we should have been much yeah, better prepared absolutely. for it. And I do think there was a bit of a, a dropping of the ball from Ten Hag. One of the great things I think we've seen from him has been that accountability towards players. And I don't think we really saw that this time around. Van der Beek was really poor against Real Sociedad, as was Cristiano Ronaldo. And there were two players who retained their places in the team against Aston Villa. And ultimately, when it comes to intensity, yes, you can you can always blame the players. But 
it always comes back to the to the coach. And if you know your players have the mentality, which these United players do, which sometimes we can start players slowly, you really need, you've got to be the person who gives them that intensity. And in this scenario, Ten Hag didn't do that. And I also think it the fact he didn't make brave changes either at 35 minutes or at halftime or even at, at kind of 55 minutes sent sent a bit of a bit of a message as well. I, I think this was Ten Hag's worst game in charge of United, in my opinion. I you know, we've obviously had bad performances this season, but I think in most of those I've found it difficult to to criticize him too much. But this for me was a game where I felt like he really didn't set set United up well and I don't think he he managed the game particularly well as it was going on either. I, I definitely agree with you that, you know, Van der Beek and Ronaldo after their performances midweek definitely did not warrant a start. I can understand it slightly more so with Ronaldo because we are lacking options in that area. And obviously Ten Hag mentioned it himself before the game that a lot of our normal leaders were out. And so maybe he wanted a leader on the pitch, although Ronaldo hasn't exactly acted like a leader throughout much of this season. But I mean, Van der Beek in particular, you know, he was given his chance against Sociedad, had a really, really poor game. And not only has he been poor, but probably the most natural alternative, which would be to play, bring Fred in and either put Ericsson at number 10 or as Fred has played a couple of times this season already, put Fred further forward and keep Ericsson in his normal role a bit deeper. Fred has been in great form recently, admittedly in a very small sample size. But what we've seen from Fred is that he will offer us more than what Van der Beek has done. And even before that game, it felt like a match, like we mentioned with the, the, the challenges of going to Villa Park, that was going to be loud. It was going to be raucous Villa. We're going to come out and probably have a lot of energy, a lot of intensity right from the first whistle. Fred was a player that suited that kind of environment down to the ground. Then, you know, up front, I didn't like the idea of shifting Rashford out to the right. I, you know, Rashford's been playing great on the left. I don't know why you would want to kind of hamstring your main attacking threat. Yeah. And then with, with the changes as well, I thought, I think that m- maybe Ten Hag was almost sort of sucked in by the fact that I think our best period of the game was probably in the 10 minutes before halftime that led to the goal. Yeah. And I think it would have been, probably yeah, it, it was working well, wasn't it? But it, it required a brave decision. Yeah. And, but I mean, this is exactly the kind of time you make brave decisions. Yeah. And it's not like we had anything to hold on to at that point. I think even despite having our better period towards the end of the first half, it's not as if we were peppering Villa's goal. You know, we had... We, we had that one chance from Garnacho where he shot and Martinez made a decent save and then the Ronaldo header. But th- th- those two, the Ronaldo header came from the ball being recycled immediately after the Garnacho chance. So really that sort of one attack, that was really the only thing that we created. It's not as if yeah. we were completely, it's not, yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. I think there was I also definitely- felt, I also just felt this, this was an attempt to carry the team playing in the way it has been which has been good and we've been doing well and and it's been great but without the players anymore to do that so with Fernandes out of the team with Anthony out of the team so Dallow's role inside kind of as that inverted fullback has been going really well but when you then have Rashford on the right wing that means there is absolutely no width on the right anymore so maybe this was the game to push Dallow back out to being a more traditional wide fullback but that didn't happen which meant all of our players on the left hand side in this kind of compact area with Villa defending deep and nothing happened really. And it, it, it was little things like that. We just thought that this isn't the team of two weeks ago that was playing well. It needs some, it needs further flexibility. And Ten Hag's been very flexible so far this season. And that's been one of his good things, but I don't think we saw it too much here. And, and Villa exploited that massively with, with all of our play over on the left-hand side in attack on transition. They just hit us 
ruthlessly in, in into the space behind. Yeah, I mean the the Villa's first goal is a perfect example of that. Watkins receives the ball, drags Lindelof out of defence. Lindelof didn't do anything wrong following him and put him under a fair amount of pressure. But United then didn't react to that well enough, and the ball goes into Bailey in that space that Lindelof has left behind. It's, 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 these are really sort of easy concepts, and it was a, a theme throughout the entire day. I, I think I would put the our, our deficiencies in attack. I'm much more willing to write that off as you know we were missing some really key players, especially Fernandez, you know Anthony as well on the right hand side. I'm much more willing to say that in yeah. attack our problems were down to people missing. In defence, I'm much less open to that explanation and I and I understand that Varane was out and he is obviously a, a massive player in that defence but our problems out of possession were not just the back four it was the whole team defended terribly the entire yeah. game although I think as as uh, you mentioned this earlier anyway but Fernandez out of possession was a massive miss the the drop off from Fernandez to Van der Beek is, is is massive in that sense in terms of intensity and and also in what it in how it increases the requirements on Ericsson as well who has had a quiet two or three games now as well. And and I think Lindelof was left exposed, A, because I think this was probably Martinez's worst game in a while, partly because of the the role that Dallow was playing, but also because Ericsson was stepping forward to help Van der Beek creatively because he wasn't playing well enough. And then this huge hole behind with just Casemiro and then Lindelof exposed and so on and so on, as you've, as you've just referred to. But I think that in in defence, you know, we've, we've talked about how it's easier when you're a new manager at a club to make a team good defensively and in attack it takes a long, a lot longer. And in, in a similar vein, I think if you're a player coming into a team, it is a lot easier to replicate what the person you're replacing provides in a defensive sense than in an attacking sense. You know, Donny van der Beek is a completely different player to Bruno Fernandes on the ball. They're never going to be the same player and they shouldn't ever strive to be the same player as each other. But Donny van der Beek is perfectly capable of doing everything Bruno Fernandes does in a defensive sense. That is purely about understanding the system, knowing where you need to be given the game situation, what the triggers are for your press. These are things baked into a system, not Bruno Fernandes is capable of playing this pass and Donny van der Beek yeah. isn't. I think that's why I'm not willing to put that so much. I, Fernandes was a huge miss defensively, but it is much easier for others to replicate what he can do in terms of organising that press and being a real sort of catalyst for our press from the front. Like Donny van der Beek is capable of doing that and he, he didn't. And it wasn't just him. We're talking, speaking about van der Beek because we're talking about Fernandes being the one that was missing. But it was everyone. There were so many occasions where Villa would so easily play out of our press. Either Rational Garnacho would push too far in field onto the centre-backs and Martinez would clip the pass into the full-backs and then Aston Villa would have space to attack into. If Rashford and Garnacho stayed wide, Villa would just play through midfield so easily. We just didn't... We looked so disjointed, disjointed pressing from the front, which is a massive departure from what we've seen over the last few weeks. And that I'm, I'm not willing to say that is purely just down to these players being missed. That is something those that were on the pitch should have been able to produce at a similar level. Yeah. On Van der Beek, finally his chance comes and he was really poor. So there's, there's no, not a huge amount of excuse for that. He had 17 touches in about an hour against Real Sociedad, 18 touches in about an hour against Aston Villa to have that little, impact or I mean that's fair that doesn't tell you about impact but it does tell you about presence to have that little presence on a game as number 10 is is properly poor that being said this was the worst time for his chance to come because in an ideal world and none of these things really happened he would a be fully match fit which he isn't or which he certainly wasn't when when that when he started against Real Sociedad and he'd also be playing alongside Anthony Martial and Jadon Sancho instead 
he gets his chance when United are playing with less possession than normal, when he's playing alongside Ronaldo, who he can't play off at all. And Van der Beek in this system, all of his good qualities are made pointless and all his weaknesses are, are shown. And that's that's the reality, isn't it? Crucially, he has not got the strength of physicality or, or mind to impose himself on a game that's not suited perfectly to him in in English football. And we've seen that and it's possibly is, this is possibly it for him, isn't it? Which is a great shame because he was a, a very good player. Yeah, this, this feels this feels like the final straw. Being given a big opportunity, two games in a row, like you mentioned, albeit in you know potentially not the best sort of situations for himself. And I think I think the most damning thing you can say is just that he has, and you mentioned it, he has no influence on the game at all as a number ten, and that is as criminal really, especially against Villa in a game where United had so much possession after we fell behind. This was a game where a number 10 should have been able to really leave their their, their imprint all over the match and, and Van der Beek just didn't. He, I, I am still convinced that I think Van der Beek could do well as in that sort of second striker. Like remember Dele Alli's breakout season at Spurs? Yeah, he could be great like that. In yeah. that kind of role. I, I do think he could do well, but United are never ever going to play with a, with a system like that. And if he can't play as a number 10, which it seems like he can't, he's just not going to succeed. And I think this was a, this really was the final straw for me personally. And I think for him at United, you know, he's been given a chance to come in and he just isn't on the ball. He just isn't capable, I don't think, to do things at the level required to be a, a, a good number 10 for a, 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 what it's supposed to be anyway, a, a club competing at the top level. Yeah. There's also Ronaldo to talk about. But before we do that, let's have our first guest, the player clue. Of the episode this week, it's me guessing and Jack setting the clue as a basic reminder of the rules. Three clues during the episode, you get more points the quicker you get it. And the clues come about every five minutes from here. So Jack, do you want to go ahead and give me my first clue? Yes. So your first clue is, I made appearances in the Premier League under both David Moyes and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the same season. Obviously not both for United. Okay. So I can repeat it. So I made appearances in the Premier League under both David Moyes and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the same season. I mean, my my immediate thought is Jesse Lingard, uh, but I'm aware that's either the obvious answer or the deliberate trick. So I'm going to try to think of uh, some other players who might have played for David Moyes. It has to be a West Ham player, as far as I'm aware, because Moyes was at West Ham, then sacked, and then back at West Ham. I don't think in the, since Solskjaer took over as United manager that he's been at, at another club. I don't expect your help on this, but, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and in which case I need a, either, either I go with Jesse Lingard or I need another West Ham player who's played for, for the So team. as a reminder, for, both for you and for everyone listening, you can guess now and you get three points if you're correct. But if you get it wrong, you then won't be able to guess until after the final clue, which means you'd only be able to get one point. Yeah. I'm f- I'm very tempted to to just go for it, but I'm going to go for Jesse early doors and, and have some bravery. We've just been talking about bravery with Ten Hag, so let's have some bravery. Jesse Lingard is my guess. Well, we were talking about bravery with Bruno Fernandes and like Bruno Fernandes. Oh, reckless. You've been, you've been brave, but... Unfortunately, it hasn't come off this time. Jesse Lingard is incorrect. Okay. Well, I need the, re- I need the, the reason, time to think. The reason I, I, it's incorrect is I had this clue initially written out as I played for a team 
for managed by both David Moyes and Solskjaer in the same season, which would have counted for Jesse Lingard. But he didn't actually play in the oh. Premier League in 2021 before he went out on loan to West Ham for United. So the wording was important there. Can you can you just read the clue very quickly again? I'm not going to read guess. But. Yeah. I made appearances in the Premier League for both David Moyes and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the same season. So it, it could be, it could be not in the Solskjaer United era. Oh, fuck, I know. It. <laughs> well, t- tell us now and we'll, you, you can't guess until the, I won't tell you if it's right, but you can hear the rest of the clues. No, no, what, what I'm going to, I won't tell you because I'll, I'll let the listeners keep guessing as well, okay. but I, I, I'm a hundred percent sure I know who it is. And it's a, it's a, it's a bastard of a trick question. Or trick <laughs> anyway, right. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll guess it again at, at two. Obviously, I'd okay. only get one point for that. But um, I'll tell you if I've changed my mind or not, but I'm pretty sure. Right, let's talk, uh, let's talk Ronaldo. Steve K, one of our patrons, asks, Ronaldo, well, says, first of all, Ronaldo this season's playing like a Sunday league player who thinks he's Ronaldo. Uh, fitness is no longer a valid excuse. Age has simply caught up with him and it's just sad to watch him unable to deal with it. Do you think there is any way for him to adapt his game and have some use to the team in the situation where he doesn't leave in January? First things first, it was another really poor week for him, wasn't he? He's lost, I mean, he's lost the thing that guaranteed him a place even when he was playing poorly in that he can't finish at the moment. And in that sense, it's one of the most dramatic declines I've seen. That's not at all to say he can't come good again in that particular department. And surely he can, because it's Ronaldo. But it's not happening right now. And it's hurting United too much, waiting for it to happen. As you mentioned a few minutes ago, the obvious problem is who comes into replacement. Replacing Martial hasn't been fit. Hopefully he is now, but he's just incredibly unreliable. You can put Rashford up there, and I probably would. But in terms of, it was, and everyone knows it was a bad week for him. The finishing against both Real Sociedad and Villa was really poor and just it's sometimes just um, unbelievably poor. You just see these chances that Ronaldo's getting and you don't believe it when he doesn't score them because we're so used to it. Uh, is there a way he can adapt his game and have some use to the team? I'll leave that for you to go first. The, the thing is, I don't, I don't really see how he could, how it could change so that he could be useful to this team because you, you, you know, hit the nail on the on the head there, Harry. That. The thing that always used to guarantee him his spot in the team was his finishing. It's not. It's not as if we're talking. Of, I don't think Ronaldo's general play has dropped off that massively from last season. He he wasn't this you know amazing back to goal striker that was holding the ball up and playing on the half turn, making great runs from deep. You know he he wasn't involved all that much last year, and when he was, it was very simple things. But what allowed him to still co- co- contribute positively last year was that he would bury his chances. And quite frankly, I. Unless that gets sorted out, I don't know that he could ever have a, a, a decent role in this team because that is ultimately what he's in the team for. And he, he just isn't creating, he isn't burying the chances. I understand we're probably not creating the level of chances that it would, we would want to in an ideal world, but it's not as if he's not having any opportunities on goal. You know, every single game, it seems like he has at least one or two really, really good opportunities that he, he quite clearly just doesn't have his normal level of of conviction and ruthlessness when he when he gets in those when he gets in those positions. Yeah. I think without that, I don't think there is a clear future for him here. The the ideal scenario would be United improve in their build up, become a much more creative team and, and Ronaldo literally can he can almost be a little bit like Haaland in a way, obviously a much worse version, but 
in the sense that there, there have been games when Haaland's had like 13 touches but scored three goals. Like yeah. That is the kind of role you'd want Ronaldo to play in this team. But That's the truth. Isn't it? He needs United to be playing really well and to be able, and then come in and yeah. and he's finishing to be good. I think that's the only. And, and the so only I, I think it's on it's on him and and United. I, I yeah. think he could only function in this team if we were a lot better than we currently are. But even if we were a lot better than we currently are. And it doesn't help when Dallas ready to put a ball into the box and he's offside in a very easy scenario to not be offside. So he's not helping himself at all. It's been a really poor week. Uh, we should move on. In terms of how much does this result matter? For me, I'm not greatly concerned. I mean, tell me one thing we learned from that game that we didn't know before. Don't think you can. It's not presented any new issues. The weaker players in this squad played poorly. We missed our better players. That's the reality. The squad depth isn't good enough. And this is what we expected at times this season. The nature of it, we can be unhappy with and, and pick apart as we just have done. But um, I don't think it tells us too much, too much new. As for the game at Real Sociedad, should we just take the positive? Maybe, because I think it, it's the disappointment of it as we, we've been, we've all been through as, as fans uh, since Garnacho's goal and a clean sheet. It's a great finish from Garnacho and a brilliant moment for him, isn't it? Yeah, took the goal so well. He was, he was quite isolated for large parts of the game, but when he did get his opportunities, he did very well in both the chances he's got to start in the Europa League, to be fair, this, this week and the week before against Sheriff as well. Yeah. Brilliant finish. I thought he did okay against Villa as well. Nothing remarkable, but nothing particularly terrible. He's probably our best attacker on the day. Yeah. yeah. You know, good, good signs. And I think it's, it's, it's been very telling how public a lot of the players have been and, and Ten Hag talking about Garnacho's attitude yeah. in pre-season, which suggests to me that it's something that's been already discussed and talked about internally and has obviously kind of turned it around. And, you know, I think he should now be on the up and up and will hopefully you would imagine should only get more opportunities as the season wears on. It seems to have gone above a langer in that pecking yep. order. It was a real shame we couldn't get the second goal having started so well like that. There were plenty of, of problems there. Just reminded best. me so much of the, the Atletico Madrid game last year. Yeah. You know, just yeah. there's something about playing Spanish sides when you need a goal that some they just manage the game so well, which is so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. As for a city and a trip, it was absolutely brilliant. And an incredible city and a brilliantly re well renovated, redesigned stadium as well. I had it, it got the atmosphere going properly in really nice away and and looked great from the outside. I also went to Athletic Club of Bilbao's San Mamas Stadium, which was redone in 2013. That is so good. One of the best stadiums I've seen, and one of the only ones to make me question myself in the debate around Old Trafford's future about whether it should be renovated or rebuilt. I I think renovated, but this was the first stadium where I, I looked at it and thought, oh, that's, they've done it properly well. So you're still close to the pitch. It's, it's just, it's a great, a great arena. The Basques really know how to, I mean, A, they know how to do food. And I, I can speak to anyone about that for, for a while, as I did to Jack before we started recording. But they could also make a very good stadium. So fair play to them. Someone should put that on a on a travel brochure for the Basque country. We know how <laughs> good to food, do good stadiums. stadiums. Food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we go to a youth and loan and women's roundup, guess the player two or guess the player clue two. If you, if you can. All right. Do you want to, do you want to reveal who you think it is before I tell you, say the clue or do you want to hear the clue first? Let's hear the clue first. Cause I don't, I don't want to, I want the listeners to be able to, to guess as well. Right. So I might hold it until three, given I can't get a point anyway. Yeah. So in October, 2009, 
I was mistakenly given a yellow card for a foul committed by another player. In fairness, it was probably the most understandable mistaken identity in the Premier League. <laughs> okay. Has that, has that confirmed your, your suspicions? So. We'll go to a... Read it again, and then we'll go to a youth load on women's roundup. So in October 2009, I was mistakenly given a yellow card for a foul committed by another player. In fairness to the referee, it was probably the most understandable case of mistaken identity you'll ever see in the Premier League. And that yellow card, United appealed the yellow card and it was given to the correct player eventually. It was a torrid week all round for United, really. Let's start with the worst of the youth load and women's roundup. United's under-21s were pumped 6-1 by Manchester City. Mark Dempsey's team had led the game. Reese Bennett, the fourth-minute goal scorer. And it was 1-1 at half-time, 2-1 after 68 minutes, and then came a late flurry of goals, three after the 80th minute. It flattered City, but they did deserve to win, obviously. They won 6-1, and United have to do better than that. And that a late crumble like that is, is really disappointing. In fairness, the under-18s drew 3-3 with Arsenal. They probably should have won the game. There were some standout individual performances on both sides. United's goals came from Ethan Williams with two and a Manny Norcott penalty. And finally, in academy news, Shola Shoritero was shortlisted for the Premier League 2 October Player of the Month, having scored several goals and had some really good performances there. He's doing well in the under-21s, having many having thought he would go out on loan. He didn't. He's playing very well in the under-21s. He could probably do with a loan or some first-team chances. Hopefully they'll come. Uh, possibly even in the winter break when United play Cadiz and Real Batiste. United women conceded their first goals of the season in their sixth game and suffered defeat, a first defeat, in front of a record 6,000 plus crowd at Lee Sports Village on Sunday evening. Mark Skinnerside puts in a good but not good enough performance against champions Chelsea, for whom Sam Kerr opened the scoring after 60 minutes. Ex-Red Lauren James doubled the visitors' lead four minutes later. It was a fatal blow for United, who did begin to muster a comeback. Alessia Russo, who has recently returned from injury, finished clinically after a brilliant pass from Ella Toon and an end-to-end -end finale ensued as Chelsea looked to secure a victory and United secure a goal for a draw. In the end, Chelsea were successful. Aaron Cuthbert scored late on for a 3-1 win. It's not a good result, but WSL pundits believe the performance was an improvement from United with regards to big games, and I'd agree as well. The team has shown they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe in these big matches, but the reality is they're going to have to win a couple of them at the very minimum to finish in the top three, and most of them to win the title. This is one lost. Next up is Arsenal in a fortnight's time. In low news, Hannibal's the standout player of the week. Another assist for Birmingham City, helping them to a 2-1 win against Stoke City. Some other good performances all around. Ahmad in action again, missed a couple of chances. Ethan Laird played for QPR in a 1-0 loss to West Brom. Uh, Mate Kovar, the goalkeeper, kept a good clean sheet for Sparta Prague as they beat Victoria Pleasant, who are in the European competitions this season. They beat them 1-0 in the Czech top flight. Really good win for them. Ethan Galbraith was playing for Salford City in the FA Cup. They drew 0-0 uh, against Peterborough away from home, and so they'll have a replay on Tuesday night. In fact, they won't have a replay on Tuesday night. They play again on Tuesday night against Rochdale, and then they will play in the Cup again. Okay, Jack, time for the final guess, the player clue. Clue number three may be worth a reminder of the first two very quickly. Yeah. So the first clue was I made appearances in the Premier League under both David Moyes and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the same season. And then the second clue was in October 2009, 
I was mistakenly given a yellow card for a foul committed by another player. It was probably the most understandable case of mistaken identity you'll ever see in the Premier League. And then Harry, your final clue is, I joined Manchester United along with my twin brother from Fluminense in Brazil. Okay, so I'll reveal what my thinking was. The person I was almost certain it was, it isn't, but I got it after the second clue. <laughs> so who did you think it was after you guessed Jesse Lingard? So I thought uh, my second option after Lingard was Zaha, Wilfred Zaha, who went on loan to Cardiff, but where where he would presumably have been managed by Solskjaer. Yeah. Um, and then he would have played for Moyes in the Premier League at United. The only concern was that was, did he ever play under Moyes in the Premier League? <laughs> I think he did. Um, but once you said the, I mean, mainly the date gave it away and also the most obvious mistaken identity yeah. of October 2009, first of all. So it was clear it wasn't Zaha. And then the obvious mistaken identity, Fabio De Silva and the third clause. Yeah, that is correct. It. Fabio De Silva. Zaha uh, probably is, probably would have counted for that first clue, to be fair. I should have uh, realised that, but I guess the point of those first clues. Well, no, you, I mean, your first clue is allowed to refer to yeah, two yeah, players. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any any problem with that. It's it's meant to be deliberately hard, but yeah, it's, it's lucky I waited before yeah. outing myself is wrong. Um, let's talk about Aston Villa. Again, we started off the show doing it. Well, finish the show doing it we play them again this is a, a very strange trend actually yeah United playing back-to-back games against opposition in the same week is not something that's happened often in our history over well since the war really and then it's happened loads in the last few seasons so I think we had Brighton last year or two years ago we had Villa last year we got Villa again this year we may end up having Crystal Palace again later in the season with our rearranged fixtures uh, to be played against them it's very strange isn't it and it always brings an odd thing to it. Villa will be coming into this massively confident. People will say United are going for revenge and we will be. Most importantly, what do you expect from Ten Hag's team here? Because in theory, you'd think, oh, this is a great game to kind of get Donny van der Beeks and get, give him a chance, but he has to play. So you'd expect to go pretty strong with Fernandes. United need to win this and then beat Fulham just for the mood going into the World Cup. I think two wins here are pretty essential. This has made me want to figure out what our record has been in those other games when we've played teams twice in a week. I think we we lost in the Cup to West Ham, didn't we? After we played them, we beat them in the Premier League, then lost in the yep. Cup. I can't remember. We Did we beat Brighton both Was The, the Brighton one was at the, the Fernandez penalty after the final whistle in the league. Yeah, and then in the and then the League Cup, we beat them 3-0. Right. Matter scored it. Uh, if I remember okay. correctly. So not, not too bad. And then Villa last season. In fact, th- th- what's incredible is this is the second time this year, this calendar <laughs> year, we've done it against Aston Villa. So we played them on the 10th of January in the FA Cup and the 15th in the league. We beat them in the cup thanks to that late, I oh know, sorry, early McTominay header. He then scored late against someone else. And then we, it, it was a very frustrating 2-2 at Villa Park. Yeah, that. yeah, the Coutinho comeback, yeah. So we've done quite well in them in the past. I think just so I think you want to see a few of the kids playing this as well, to be fair. Garnacho yeah. should be getting another opportunity. I it would be very tempting to give somebody like Charlie McNeil, who Ten Hag is clearly keeping track of because he came off the bench against Real Sociedad, giving United striker woes, it would be very tempting to give someone someone like that an opportunity. Shoulder Shuratere could have a chance as well, even if it's just off the bench. Yeah, I, I think the the league game against Villa showed the the pitfalls of the lack of rotation that we've had all season because it becomes a bit of a self-perpetuating cycle where you don't play players 
because you don't think that they're as well suited to, to yeah. maybe playing in this system. But that means that they, their level drops off even more compared to the players that are playing. So then you trust them less, they get even less game time. And, you know, we didn't even get the payout that we wanted from not rotating in the, in the Europa League. We didn't I end think up that's, topping the group either. That's so. a massive, that's a massive problem, isn't it? Yeah. The fact that we, if we were going to go full strength for those last three or four games, we had to win the group. And failing to do that is, it's a, that's a real, that's, I think the main reason we didn't beat Villa. Yeah, because I mean, you could trace back some of the, in, like these injuries aren't sort of big long-term. They are, uh, many of them, they're the the effects of, of fatigue and just playing so much. And then you end up, when you need, when you have to bring in other players through necessity, like we did against Villa, they're cl- quite clearly not up to speed. I think after losing the first game to Real Sociedad, we knew that it was all going to come down to that final game. And so I think, playing full strength teams all the time in the Europa League probably wasn't the best way to go considering that the next four games are going to be against Sheriff and Omania teams that we should have been beating really no matter who we were playing but anyway I think against Villa should definitely be a time to to rotate it will probably be two very different lineups to what we saw at the weekend I think I'd expect a few a few of the big guns to play probably more so in attack just given our sort of lack of options up there but Maybe this is the kind of game where Shola Shoratire, I think, could could well be on the bench and potentially come on and get some minutes. I think Garnacho and Elanga could start potentially with with Martial up front as he continues his comeback. It wouldn't surprise me if Martial gets sort of 30 to 45 minutes in this game. Maybe he starts and plays the first half and then gets brought off at halftime. It's definitely an opportunity to get some minutes in the legs of players that haven't had a whole lot of, of opportunities on the pitch today. Pitch so far it's this season. It's going to be hard though. It will. It's going to be a hard game. And there would, this is, of all the seasons, this will be the one where Ten Hag really has to ask himself, how much do I want to win this? Because the League Cup will add a huge, a huge burden to the second half of the season. If he's, he may think, no, I'm just going to play a lot of the young players and hope we win and hope we go through, but I'm not going to play full strength for this. That's up to him. I would always go for it. I think United managers should always go for it, but... Charlotte Ferguson played young teams very often in the League Cup. United were the pioneers of that, really. We played a young team against Port Vale in the early to mid-90s, I think 94 or 95, maybe even earlier than that, That and kind of teams followed suit in playing young teams. It's something we've done in the past. It's it's a decision for him, really, isn't it? But it will be a difficult game, and and especially for Unai Emery as the new Villa manager. He, he's going to want another big win in his second game, and he knows... A lot of his players won't be going to the World Cup. He knows he can kind of tank them out for this one week. He has to take them in. He's in charge of them pre-World Cup. This is a, it's just kind of a difficult spot to be in, I think, for United at the moment, because we are in need of some, some momentum and some good feeling, get back into the team and the club before the World Cup, especially having gone on a really good run where it felt like we were building towards something. And it's not just the Villa result, obviously, but it does feel like some of that, momentum and good feeling has dissipated to some degree but how do you balance that with with rotating and trying to get minutes for players that haven't played a whole lot this season and trying to make sure that you're well prepared for the Fulham game and also like you mentioned trying to take the the League Cup seriously because it's probably United's best chance of silverware is United's best chance of silverware all season so how exactly Ten Hag will approach that I don't know I I hope that he doesn't sort of panic in a way and just play a full strength team because he's worried about you know, not having a strong enough team out there or maybe worried about backlash if we end up getting a bad result. I think you have to approach it the same way you would have done even if we had won against Villa. Maybe with a couple of, you know, players coming in or out dependent on on their form or whatever. But 
I think you still got to approach it the same you would normally probably play a rotated team with enough firepower on the bench to come on on if you need it. Final thing, Barcelona and Europa League. It's the draw we didn't want. We've got it. Uh, both as travelling fans, as ma- as a match going fan who went to the group stage games and will be going to this one. It's the draw I didn't want. I would have loved the trip to Warsaw to play Shakhtar Donetsk or to Leverkusen where you could stay in Cologne or to Sporting to play or to Lisbon to play Sporting. All would have been preferable to Barcelona where United have been many times before. On the other hand, it's a big European night and it will be exciting when the time comes around, won't it? Yeah, of course it will. I mean, it's United-Barcelona. I don't care what competition it's in. It's always going to be a big occasion yeah, we have played Barcelona a fair amount over the last ten or fifteen years, but they they aren't at the same time. These aren't games that come around, you know, every single year. But it is it's certainly the, I mean, the exact reason we were all so desperate to to top the group and why it was so important to do so. Because I mean, this is the exact kind of pitfall that we were trying to avoid. Not only two extra games, but two extra games against still a very good team, despite the fact that they obviously have dropped down to the Europa League. Yeah, it's it is in some ways worst case scenario despite the the romanticism around the fixture you know being against Barcelona from a footballing perspective it is kind of worst case scenario for United yeah and we'll wrap up on that very very happy note uh, we'll be back to talk the Aston Villa game and preview Fulham on Friday morning until then thank you very much for listening you know where to find us on Twitter if you want to sign up to be a patron go to the podcast Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod that's POD at the end there uh, to find out information about how to do that for as little as 38p a week and get ad-free episodes and bonus Q&As at the end of every Tuesday morning episode have a great week goodbye Network.